Good morning. You guys doing well? You guys ready for a new year? Yes, I am too. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. Mark Twain said this, we are all like the moon. We all have a dark side. C.S. Lewis said Satan's strategy is to get Christians to become preoccupied with their failures, and from then on, the battle is won. Unresolved guilt and shame are emotional terrorists holding us hostage to the past, harassing us in the present, and hindering our future potential. And so here's really the thesis statement of our study this morning. I think it's there on your notes. The Prince of Peace came to give us peace with God so that we could have the peace of God rule our hearts. It's a great way to end the year and start a brand new year. So we've been working through this teaching series, and we called it More Than a Baby in a Manger. Why why would we say that? It's because Jesus is more than a baby in a manger. In fact, Isaiah 9-6 says that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So we've looked at each of those titles, those names for Jesus. Wonderful Counselor, yes, he helps us with the dullness of life. There's no greater satisfaction than what can be found in knowing him. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, he helps us with the difficulties of life. We looked at that a few weeks back. And then last weekend, we looked at everlasting father. And he helps us with every dimension of our lives. We worked through the, um, the Lord's Prayer and how we interact with our everlasting father, how he touches every every dimension of our lives. And so this morning we're talking about Prince of Peace. He helps us with the disturbances of life and life's greatest disturbance. Nothing will distract you more from all that God has for you than uh, unresolved guilt and shame as we head into the future. So would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. And we're going to dive into this study. It's It's a wonderful study to finish up the year and head into a brand new year. Father God, thank you for sending your Son, our Savior, the Prince of Peace, into this world to give us peace with you so that your peace may rule our hearts. Open our eyes that we may behold these wonderful things from your word. And as we come to the end of another year and the beginning of a brand new year, help us to do as Paul wrote in Philippians 3.13. This one thing I do is forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. By your grace, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So let's take a look at this text. I'm going to read through the text. Now, some of your Bibles will probably say this was not in the earlier manuscripts. And uh, it was probably not written by John, though uh, many respected uh, theologians would say it should be in the Bible. It does represent and reflect Jesus. Probably was written by Luke. But you can do all the studies you want to on that if you want. Uh, I believe it's, it's supposed to be there. And uh, that's why we're looking at it. And it's an important text And we'll begin reading in verse 1, chapter 8 of John. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he he sat down and taught them. 
the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. Well, just think about this just for a minute. She's probably, uh, probably has very little clothes on, maybe has just a sheet wrapped around her. They caught her in adultery. And, I'm, and, and you should automatically say, well, where's the man in this? And you're not going to see a man. You're going to just see the woman. Now, imagine how she feels. And they said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them. These are pretty profound words here. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Do you hear it? Do you hear the sound of grace? Because one by one they begin to drop their rocks. And this woman certainly had to, it, it had to have just, it, it was probably breathtaking for her filled with guilt and shame, naked, standing before her accusers. And Jesus says, he is without sin, throw the first stone. And, and notice what it says. And, and once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone. Notice this, he is left alone. Just, just the woman and Jesus with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Wow. That's powerful. This is, the word of the, this is the word of God to us this morning. And so let's walk through this. And, and I, I believe it starts with an understanding of that we have peace with God. So the Prince of Peace came to bring to us peace with God. If you had any idea what, what the implications of that mean, from this day forward, as you head into a brand new year, you would never be without the peace of God guarding your heart and mind, regardless of what went down in your life, regardless of what goes down. But the problem is, our problem isn't that we don't have the, the, peace, the peace of God. Our problem is that we don't have the peace of God because we really don't fully understand peace with God. You have peace with God. There are no barriers between you and God because of what Jesus Christ has done. That has to be driven deep into our hearts. And to the degree it is driven deep into our hearts is to the degree that we will have the peace of God rule our hearts and minds. And, uh, and so the first section is peace with God. Here we have a story of failure, guilt, abuse, shame, grace. 
Jesus was, has been teaching. The woman has been cheating. The Pharisees are scheming. In an instant, the woman is caught in the act and yanked from private passion to public spectacle. The people are pointing fingers at the woman and asking Jesus to respond. The story is, is a beautiful picture of how God responds to our sin. If you've ever wondered, if you've ever wondered, frame these words and hang them on the wall. Read them, ponder them, drink them in. Let them wash over your soul. Because if you do, you will never be the same. That we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amazing. Here's the problem that they, they brought before Jesus. Uh, it was a test. It's a problem that we all struggle with, actually. Is God a God of law or a God of love? That's what they're asking. Are you going to uphold the law, Jesus, and trample on the woman, or trample on the law and uphold the woman? What are you going to do, Jesus? How are you going to live this out so that they could accuse him? So is God a God of justice or a God of mercy and grace. Now, here's the tendency for all of us, and you can actually uh, go and find churches that would lean in one direction or the other, and we all tend to do this. It, it tends to be the default mode within our own hearts, and we will gravitate towards churches that are primarily one or the other. The, the one style of church would be more of a legalism church. How many are familiar with that term, legalism? You guys know what I'm talking about. Legalism, law is reality, and love is secondary. Love is conditional. Yes, God is very loving, but in the end, you've got to be good or he won't love you. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Jesus is going to get you. When we say Santa Claus, but it's, that's a messed up song. Because there's a lot of people singing that in the church these days. Like... Jesus is going to get you. You better live right. You're in big trouble. That's legalism. It's legalism. And then there's the other extreme. We tend to go, oh, I don't want to get into legalism, but then we get into liberalism. Liberalism is love is reality and law is secondary. Law is conditional. Yes, you should obey, but in the end, God loves everybody and will accept everybody. So we tend to swing to these two extremes. Now, here's, here's part of the dilemma that I want you to kind of walk through. If God is not a God of law, that is, if he's not a God of justice, there's no hope for the world. How else will wrong be punished? Would you agree with that? There's no hope for this world. If God is not a God of, of justice, then one of these days he will balance the book, balance the book, settle the score, make things right. This place is a mess. So I hope that he is a God of justice. But then again, here's the next part of that dilemma. If God is not a God of love or mercy and grace, there's no hope for us. How else can we be forgiven? So do you see the tension here? This is what they were trying to create. He, Jesus knew fully. And what a phenomenal answer. Here's the solution. The heart of the gospel. What did she hear? She heard the sound of grace, rocks dropping on the ground. Amazing. By the way, here's a great model for ministry. Jesus, first of all, he uh, disturbs the comfortable. I like that. And then he comforts the disturbed. 
That's my job to do both of those. And, and in fact, if you're doing ministry, you will do the same thing. You're going to disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed. And so he disturbs the comfortable by saying, he who is without sin, throw the first stone. So it made them have to look in the mirror and look at their own lives. And they recognize, hey, we're just like her. She's just like us. And then he turns and he comforts the disturbed And you'll notice here, the first thing that she begins to understand, you're not alone. Here's part of the heart of the gospel. You're not alone. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. You're not alone. When he said that, now think about the words. He who is without sin, throw the first stone. He was trying to, he was upholding her dignity and really helping her to understand, you know what? You're surrounded by a company of sinners. You're in good company. All of these people here, they're ready to throw these stones at you. They're just like you. You're not alone. Now, here's what's interesting about guilt and shame. It tends to make us feel like we're all alone. In fact, let me, let me define guilt and shame for you. Guilt is being troubled over what you have done. Shame is troubled over who you are. You feel guilty for yelling at your children. You feel shame because you're a bad parent. So you could see how that guilt and shame, and by the way, you also need to know that there's this, there's an, you have to know the difference between true guilt and shame and false guilt and shame. Oftentimes when I sit down and talk with people, they're more harassed by false guilt and shame than true guilt and shame, although we all have true guilt and shame. But let me define the difference. True guilt and shame is the fact of guilt and shame without, with or without the feeling. So it's the fact. So you can put your finger on, yeah, I did violate this standard, this law. Yes, there's a place in the scripture that says that I shouldn't have done this and I did this and I continue to do this. So that would be That would be true guilt and shame, which should drive our hearts to our Savior, Jesus. But there's a false uh, guilt and shame. False guilt and shame would be the feeling without the fact. You guys tracking with me? So you feel, I just, I don't feel, I just don't feel like I measure up. Okay, can you put your finger on any particular thing that you have done or said or no, I really can't. That's probably false guilt and shame. Probably put on you by maybe your upbringing, by uh, you know, what people have said to you that continue to bounce around in your head. It could be any number of things. They put more responsibility on you than what you probably should have taken on. And so you've got to make the distinction. You've got to know the difference. As you search your heart and as you look before God, you've got to say, okay, is this true guilt and shame or is it false guilt and shame? If it's true, run to Jesus. Run to him. He loves you. He forgives you. If it's false, you've got to learn to get rid of it and deal with that. And you you can still run to him and help him to kind of uh, recalibrate your heart. You're not alone. You're not alone. Some of you need to hear that this morning. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're looking at your sin, you think, well, nobody is quite as messed up as I am. You're not alone. Nobody has done the things that I've done. You're not alone. It's interesting. We get a lot of uh, visitors over the holidays and uh, this Christmas uh, I talked with somebody who was sitting right back over here and they just, we, and, and people say this all the time and and I understand why they say this, but hey, the walls didn't fall in while I, since, you know, I walked in here and the walls haven't come in. 
And I go, dude, if they would have come in with you, they would have come in with me a long time ago, you know. And it's just like all I was trying to say to them and all I try to say to anybody, I'm right there with you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All have sinned. You are surrounded by a company of sinners. Look around. You sinners. We are. That's what the Bible says. The Bible is very clear about that. That's healthy to be able to acknowledge that and say, yes, yes. And in fact, if, if you're a part of a small group, one of my favorite verses always to pull out when everybody, you always have one or two in there that act like, I can't relate. Can't relate to your problems. Like you've never had a problem. No, my wife and I have never argued. We, we were in a, actually a small group one time where there was a couple that had been married for 20 some odd years and they said, we've, we've never argued. I'm thinking, you got to be kidding. What? Who's lying here? You're not living in reality. There's, there's something messed up here. And so here's my verse that I always pull out. Uh, it's, it's 1 John 1, 8. And it's just before 1 John 1, 9, obviously. Uh, but, uh, but 1, 9, you guys know 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's preceded by, if you think that you have no sin... You deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. So if you come off like, hmm, I got it all together. No, you don't. I got a verse for you, okay? Here's your verse. You're deceiving yourself. You don't have it together as well as you think you might have it together. Oh, by the way, if you're not desperate for Jesus, it just shows me that you're living in la-la land. You're deceived because your sin should make you desperate for Jesus your rescuer, your healer. You ought to want him more than ever. And so you're not alone. Here's the next thing. You're not condemned. Neither do I condemn you. Why could he say that? Because Jesus, he was condemned for us on the cross. He would be condemned for her on the cross. Now, this is what guilt and shame does. All of us have had these feelings before. I don't measure up. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough money. I don't. That's the reason why it keeps us out of small groups. That's why we, even in small groups, we wear the mask. And, and so guilt and shame, it causes us to hide. So it undermines intimacy. So if I, I'm, afraid to say, I, I'm afraid to tell you who I really am and what I struggle with, my feelings and my faults and my fears. Because I'm afraid you'll reject me. It's all, it's all driven by guilt and shame. And so we hide. And then when we do have to come out from hiding, we tend to hurl. We tend to blame shift. Well, I am the way I am because it's my chromosomes. God made me this way. Or it's my, my conditioning. My parents put my diaper on too tight when I was a little boy. And I've never gotten over it. Or it's my circumstances. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Hey, listen, I'm not minimizing the trouble you've seen. I'm just saying that those things, your conditioning, your circumstances, your chromosomes, can certainly influence you, but they don't have to control you. They don't have to control your life. And the tendency is that when you come out from hiding, just admit, yeah, I'm, I'm a mess. I need help. Because that's, that's the beginning of beginning to see Christ as clear 
than you've ever seen him before. Pretty amazing. And so it does that. We, we, we hurl. And, and then this is what drives habits. The reason why we have these addictions is they're driven by, by guilt and shame. Or OCD issues, they're, they're typically driven by guilt and shame. And not only does it drive our addictions, but guilt and shame that, that's unresolved creates this handicapped mindset that God could never use me. There's no way that God could use me. Well, that's crazy. That's crazy. You don't understand what God does with, with people in their guilt and shame and how he uses them. And so, so you're not alone. You're not condemned. But here's the next one. You're not changed from the outside in. He says, go, and from now on, sin no more. What was he saying? Oh, this is beautiful. If you can get this, you're beginning to understand a little bit of what the gospel is, what Christianity is about. This is the wonder of the cross. The wonder of the cross is that in the very same stroke, it satisfies the love of God, that aspect of his nature that seeks our justification, and the justice of God, that aspect of his nature that demands punishment for sin. In the cross, you have a collision of what? Grace, mercy, and justice. In Jesus Christ. So here's the next thing on your notes. God forgives me instantly, completely, repeatedly, and freely, eliminating my guilt. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. He will never, ever, ever hold any of your sin against you. Past, present, future. Oh my goodness, do you understand what that means? Why would we ever live with guilt? When we can take it to the cross, we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But God gives me a new identity as his dearly loved child. That deals with my shame. Amazing. So here it is. We are sinners saved by Christ's works, not our works. You hear me say this? I, I probably need to repeat it every week. Every week. Christianity isn't good advice on what we must do to be right with God. It is good news about what has been done to make us right with God. You are right with God based on what has been done for you on the cross. Let that sink in. That's life liberating, that is soul satisfying. All other religions, this is why I'm a believer today. This is why I'm a Christian today. All other religions say, live as you should, and God will accept you. By the way, that's religion. All other religions and religion. Christianity says, God accepts you through Jesus Christ. Therefore, you will live as you should. Did you notice that it starts with, where are your accusers? You're in good company. You're not alone. Oh, and I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see the sequence? See, it's not sin no more and I won't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Sin no more. By the way, when he said that, what is he saying? There's a better way to do life. 
Why are you playing in the mud puddle when I have a Caribbean cruise waiting for you? That's what he's saying. Why would you go that direction? There's a better way to do life. There's deep love and joy and peace that can be found if you will follow the path I have for you. Oh, by the way, I'm giving my life for you. I mean, so it only makes sense. Why wouldn't I want to live my life for him? He gave me his life. I do not condemn you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Now, out of that, out of the erasing of guilt and shame, new identity, I'm a child of God. Oh my goodness, all the resources of heaven are mine. Now out of that, I begin to live for his glory. Oh my goodness, that's, that's breathtaking. That's crazy. That's amazing. So when I see people that are, are kind of like dabbling in sin and doing their own thing, like, you know, their, their issue is that they don't understand what they have in Jesus. Sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with God. And so what they need to do is, whoa, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you thinking? Don't you understand what you have in him? Don't you understand what he's done for you? Why would you want to go that direction? Why do you want to live over there? Oh my goodness, there's no better life than to live for him and for his glory. That's why he's saying, that's why he was able to say, sin no more. Don't go that way. Don't go that route. I don't condemn you. I welcome you. You're accepted. I love you. Oh my goodness. That's all. Man, soak that in. Let that go deep into your heart. You will never, ever be the same. I mean, it, it, will, it will change your world. It will totally change your world. And, uh, and so you are not what you do. This is on your notes. You are not what you do or what has been done to you. Some of you really need to hear that because this was abuse, really, the way that they dealt with this. They should have lovingly cared for her and said, hey, you know, but they brought her right out, made a public spectacle of her, and they just complicated. These guys are rock throwers, and and maybe you've been a part of a church or went to a church. In In fact, let me just say this, that I've actually said this to people before. When I was in the fire department, I used to do this quite a bit when someone was struggling with with an issue in their life, and I would oftentimes say, hey, uh, you need to find a pastor or a local church here in the area, and they'll help you. And, 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 and I know that there were some, there were a few, and I've had this response before where people have said, well, why would I want to do that? I already feel bad enough already. Why would I want to go to a church so I could just feel worse about myself? Because they had had an experience of rock throwers. The church was, had rock throwers. Churches have rock throwers because they don't understand the grace of God. And uh, you are not what you do or what has been done to you, but you are what Christ has done for you on the cross, producing in you humble confidence. You hear that? We, we say that all the time, humble confidence. Um, humble I am more sinful than I ever dared to think. I was so sinful, Jesus had to die for me. You were so sinful, Jesus had to die. There was no other way. Everybody look up here. 
Listen, you were so sinful, Jesus had to die. That should humble you. There was no other way for you to have peace with God and then to have the peace of God rule your heart. Jesus had to die for you. You were so lost, so that should humble you. But then he loved you so much, he wanted to die for you. He wanted to die for you. That gives you the confidence. So humble confidence. You get it? You understand what I'm saying? So that's that balance. You see that represented in the cross. You see, uh, you see mercy, grace, and then you see justice. So you get the law. Yeah, is the law important? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's important. But is grace and mercy important? Yeah, yeah. They, they come together in Christ. And so do we be, are we people then that, that live according to God's word? Absolutely. But why do we live according to God's word? Because we're accepted in him. We love him. It's out of, out of love for God because of his love for us. And then we want to live for his glory. That's why we live the way we, we live. And so it creates this humble confidence. See, the Christian life is not a morally restrained will but a supernaturally transformed heart smitten by the greatness and the goodness. The greatness of God? Yeah, he's a, he's a God of justice. He means business. He's going to balance the book, settle the score, make things right. He will do that. But his goodness, he's a God of mercy and grace. So we are people who's, who are supernaturally transformed. We have supernaturally transformed hearts smitten by the greatness and goodness of who Jesus is and what he's done for us that ruins us for anything else. Why would we want to chase after anything else when we have what we want most and that's him, to know him, to walk with him, to experience him. Here's what our biggest problem is. It's not on your notes, but let me, let me read it here. Our biggest problem, our biggest problems aren't the sins we've committed or the sins committed against us, but unbelief that God can forgive and heal us completely. That's our biggest problem. Our biggest problem, your biggest problem, is not your sins. The sins you've committed, no matter what you've done, that's not your biggest problem. Or what people have done to you, that's not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is that you don't believe, you don't believe that Jesus completely forgives you. And can heal you completely. And if you could begin to believe that just a, just a little bit and begin to say, okay, God, I'm bringing my past sins to you. Even my hurts, people have hurt me, but I'm bringing that to you because I know, God, you can heal me of that. How do I know that I'm being healed by this, uh, by this peace with God, by the wonder of the cross? Um, how do I know that's beginning to take place in my life? I gave you some verses here. So you go from the peace with God to the peace of God. I've got, got a number of things. We're going to knock this out pretty quickly. But Isaiah 26.3, it's a beautiful verse. Maybe you've memorized it. It's a memory verse uh, that I've used for many years. Thou will, uh, this is King James. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, him whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, him whose mind has stayed on thee. My mind is, is filled up with God. It's saturated with God. Here's another one. John 14, 26. 
John 14, 26, you probably are familiar with this one. Peace I leave with you. This is what Jesus was saying to his disciples. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why are you troubled? Why are you afraid? You have peace with God, and to the degree you understand that, you will have the peace of God rule your heart and mind. So if I'm anxious or angry or depressed, I, I have to go back. Wait, 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 wait. I have peace with God. I have peace with God. Oh, God, help me. Help me to understand that. Help me to live in the reality of that. Make that alive to me. God, I know it. I know it is a concept, but I don't know it as a reality. May your Holy Spirit reveal that to me. Another verse Philippians 4, 7. Some of you are familiar with that. It begins, the first couple of verses before this, it begins, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request be made known unto God. And then he goes on, he says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. People will look at you and go, wow, I don't, how, how in the world are they, why are they so peaceful? In the past, I've seen them falling apart, but now I see that they have peace. There's a peace that goes beyond our understanding. And the peace of God which goes beyond our understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here's what it looks like. Here's just, this is a short list. There's a lot of things we could add to this list, but here it is. You will be less self-absorbed and more God-absorbed. That's when you know that the peace of God is ruling your heart. C.S. Lewis says, pride is the ruthless, sleepless, unsmiling concentration on self, which is the mark of hell. By the way, pride comes in two different forms. There's the boasting The boasting that says, hey, everybody, look at me. I deserve admiration because of how much I've accomplished. Woo, yeah. That's the one side of pride. There's a flip side of pride. It's called self-pity. Self-pity. Hey, everybody, look at me. I deserve admiration because of how much I've suffered. That's preoccupation with self, too. That's pride. It's as C.S. Lewis said, It is the ruthless, sleepless, unsmiling concentration on self, which is the mark of hell. When you have the peace of God, your life is filled with the beauty and the glory of Jesus. I mean, you want more of him. You want to say more about him. You want to point people to him. That's the peace of God. All right, we made it another year. We're going to go into 2013. Praise God, another year. To glorify God, tell more people about him. Here's the next one. You will feel less entitled and more filled with gratitude. You will see every day is a gift from God. Every breath is a gift from God. Every heartbeat is a gift from God. No matter what goes down in your life, you have what you want most, God. And everything, everything beyond hell is a gift, okay? You're just like, woo I'm not in hell today, woo Praise God. It's a grace. It's a grace. So you don't live with entitlement. Hey, I deserve. That's legalism. God, after all I what? All you what? Well, what did you do? He did everything for us. He's given us life. What more do we need? Here's the next one. Um... You will feel less inordinate anxiety, anger, and depression. 
We've talked about this. Let me just run through it real quickly. If you lose a good thing, you'll be sad. Would you agree with that? You lose a good thing, you lose a job. Would you say a job is a good thing? Yeah, I would say it's a very good thing. If you lose a job, you should be sad. But if you lose a job and you're in despair, it's an inordinate emotion. And it's because you've overly attached your heart to your job. It's too much of your identity. But if he is your identity, he is your peace. That regardless of what goes down, you're going to be sad. You're going to be anxious, but it's not going to rule your life. And so when the peace of God is ruling your life, you will have less inordinate anxiety, anger, depression. Here's the next one. You won't be sinless, but you will sin less. As you head into 2013, you should begin to see more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit being produced in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's part of the peace of God ruling your heart and life because you are anchored deep in the fact that you have peace with God. And then here's the next one. You won't tower or cower around any group of people. So you're not going to feel like condescending towards certain groups of people. I feel better than them and, or you feel less than others. Yeah, but she's so much prettier than I am or he has so much more money than I have or you have Jesus. Oh my goodness, don't you understand who you have and who you are in him? So you don't have that that attitude anymore because his peace is ruling your heart. And you won't be an enjoyer or an avoider of confrontation. So can you see the balance in that? It's not you just enjoy picking fights with everybody, but then you don't just withdraw either. You, You speak truth. You speak the truth in love because you have peace with God and the peace of God that rules your heart. By the way, any love, any love that is afraid to confront the one that is loved is not love but an emotional hunger if you're afraid to confront or talk to people. And it's not loving to allow someone to do sinfully destructive things just to say, well, I don't want to be a rock thrower. Yeah, but you want to be loving because Jesus was loving. And and although he said, I don't condemn you, he also said, hey, that's a real bad way to do life, committing adultery. There's a better way to do life. He still confronted her with her sin by saying, hey, don't sin anymore. Don't go that route anymore. So that's, that's a very loving thing to do. Here's, here's a, another few things. You won't be indifferent or devastated by criticism. You won't be indifferent or devastated by criticism. So you're not going to have that uh, high and low, you know, when people praise you, ooh, I feel so good about myself. And then people criticize you, oh, I feel down in the dumps. It's going to be buffered because you have, you have all of the, the praise you need in the cross and what Jesus Christ has done for you. Here's the next one. You won't be overly needy or close to advice. You're not going to be needing everybody's advice, but then at the same time, you'll be, you'll be open when people give you advice. And here's the last one. You won't be overly needy or close to praise. So here we have it, the, the Prince of Peace came to give us peace with God so that the peace of God would rule our hearts. This is not the absence of problems, it's the presence of Jesus in our lives. This is what we're going to do, this is how we're going to wrap up our time. I want you to grab a hold of the rock that you came in. If you didn't get a rock, we can get you one. I'm sure that there are, anybody need a rock here this morning? I need one. I'm going to go back here. I'm going to walk back here and get one. I can get one for you if you need a rock.
Anybody need a rock? Okay. There's a couple right here. Thank you. So I want you to grab this rock. And I want you to find the person that you are most... I'm kidding. Uh, Can you imagine how she felt? Some of you have felt like that. Maybe you went to a small group or you were with a group of people and you began to open up your heart. I did this one time. I opened up my heart to these guys. And, uh, and these guys took that information and began to spread it, spread it throughout the church. I, I didn't intend for them to kind of take it outside of that group. It was, it was, they said it was a safe group. They said it was... Hey, you can share your heart here. I shared my heart. I shared my heart. And they took it and they stabbed me in the back with it and they used it against me. Maybe that's happened to you. Man, that was hurtful. That hurt me. I mean, it made me want to forget it. I'm not going to share my heart with anybody anymore. I'm not going to do it ever again. And yet that's exactly what the enemy would have you do. Just shut down. But when you understand that he has set us free from our guilt and shame, and the more I begin to understand that, the more I realize, hey, you know what? They can spread it to the world. It doesn't matter because I'm a trophy of God's grace. He has set me free from my guilt and shame. I'm a child of God. He loves me with an everlasting love. In fact, I'm going to share my story with others so that they can hear how God has redeemed my life and how he loves me. And so in a, in a few minutes, I'm going to count to three, and we're going to all drop these rocks. And, and we're going to drop them here this morning to represent a number of things. One is that it's the sound of grace. I want us to hear the sound of grace. I want us to hear what she heard, filled with guilt and shame, ripped out, brought out in front of all these accusers. And what did he say? He is without sin. Throw the first stone. And in essence, you're not alone. You're not alone. Some of you need to hear that this morning. When we drop the rock, you just need to know you're not alone. You're going to hear all these rocks. And all these rocks are basically saying, you're surrounded by a company of sinners. You're not alone. Oh, and by the way, this also means you're not condemned. Whatever in the past has haunted and harassed you, this is an opportunity as we head into a brand new year to let go of that. God wants to bring freedom to your life. And, and I understand it's not, it's not going to be an instant thing, but this is a, kind of maybe the initiation of a process that God wants to work in your life to bring freedom to you. You don't have to live harassed by guilt and shame. You're a child of God. And I think also this represents for us this morning Philippians 3, 13. Paul says, this one thing I do as we head into 2013, this one thing I do is forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. The word forget doesn't mean that he can't recall it, but he's not reliving it. 
You know you've been healed from your past when you don't keep reliving it. You can recall it and you, and you offer it to others as I'm a trophy of God's grace. Look what God's done to me, what he's done for me. Look how he's healed me. I was once lost, but now I'm found. Here's what my life was before Christ. Now look what he's doing in my life now. So that's what it represents. The sound of grace. The sound of grace. What do you need to let go of? What sin? What guilt? What shame? He loves you. Oh my goodness, do you have any idea how much he loves you? She was alone with Jesus. And just kind of in your mind, just imagine you are here alone with Jesus right now. And he looks you in the eyes and he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. There's a better way to do life. Live for not your glory, but for my glory. So on the count of three, we're going to drop these rocks and that's what it represents. So God, may we hear the sound of grace this morning. On the count of three. One, two, three. (laughs) Some of those were rolling rocks, weren't they? Isn't that awesome? That's what she heard. The sound of grace. The sound of grace. And so now as we head into a brand new year, this is what I believe that we can, we can say. Would you stand with me? Listen to these words. This is our challenge. This is called the fellowship of the unashamed. You and I, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense, and my future is secure. I am finished, I, I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion plaudits or popularity I now live by by presence, lean by faith, love by patience lift by prayer and labor by power my pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, my guide reliable, my mission is clear, I cannot be bought, compromise deterred lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until heaven returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And everyone said a hearty amen. God bless you. Happy New Year.